It is good to be back with you, getting back into our sermon series uh, in the letter to the Hebrews. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue to work through this wonderful chapter of believers of old living by faith. This morning we're looking at verses 20 through 22, Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 20 through 22. Please follow along as I read from God's word. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Hear the word of the Lord. I want to begin by reading a quote from Matthew Henry as we begin to look at these three examples of faith. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. He once penned these words. Though the grace of faith is of universal use throughout all of our lives as believers, yet it is especially so when we come to die. Faith has its great work to do at the last, to help believers to finish well, to die to the Lord so as to honor him, by patience, hope, and joy, so as to leave a witness behind them of the truth of God's word and the excellencies of his ways for the conviction and establishment of all that attend them in their dying moments. And so in our passage this morning, we have three examples in verses 20, 21, and 22 of men at the end of their lives living by faith. In the case of Isaac, we see a dying faith triumphing over the affections of the flesh. In the case of Jacob, we see a dying faith overcoming the influence or sway of man. And in Joseph, we see a dying faith rejecting the allure of the world. So we're going to spend some time looking at each of these examples and see what I mean by dying faith, first triumphing over the affections of the flesh. In the case of Jacob, dying faith, overcoming the influence or sway of man. And in Joseph, we see a dying faith, rejecting the allure of the world. So first, let's look at Isaac. In verse 20, we read, and we're not given a whole lot, but by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And so we want to figure out what was going on in Isaac's life that would make the Holy Spirit inspire the author of this letter to the Hebrews using this as the example in Isaac's life that would be a testimony to living by faith. So unlike the other patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the history of Isaac really is just condensed into just a couple of chapters in Genesis. 
Much more is written on the others, but chapters 26 and 27 of Genesis really hones in on the life and, and um, the day in and day out are episodes of, of Isaac. And it's this particular situation or episode in Isaac's life, again, that, that the Holy Spirit led the author to, to hone in on, to give as an example of living by faith. And so this example is found, or this episode, in Genesis chapter 27, where we are told to kind of give us the context, at this point in Isaac's life, he is old, very old, and his eyes are dim. That's the the description given to us in Genesis chapter 27. What's interesting about that description of Isaac at this point in his life is that in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7, we're given a description of Moses as he is being described as very old. He died when when he was 120. But what's different is that it says that his eyes were not were not dim, and his vigor unabated. Now, if you're looking at those two examples, you could conclude that this is simply a description of their their physical uh, demeanor or their physical appearance, the physical health between the two men. But it seems that what's being described in Genesis 27 as we're seeing this episode unfold is that Isaac is presented to us as an example of what follows when there is a failure in judgment and a lack of self-restraint in one's life. And when we are led by our fleshly impulses, I want to remind all of us that the fine edge of our spiritual life will become dull. You may be scratching your head going, where, where are you getting this? Well, in Genesis 25, verse 30, or 28, this is the description of Isaac. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. So Esau was a great hunter. Isaac loved his son, and we're told because of what he got to enjoy, the fruit of Esau's labor or skill set. Now, if you're not yet convinced, we're, we're thinking more about this reality. I, I want to give you a quote from A.W. Pink. He once wrote this, If we live to eat instead of eating to live, our spiritual vision is bound to be defective. Discernment is a, bri- a byproduct, the fruit and result of denying of self and of following our Lord. And as that episode unfolds between Jacob and Esau receiving a blessing from Isaac as he's coming to the end of his life, we start to see that maybe Isaac really was struggling and that physical description was actually helping helping us understand what was going on with him even spiritually. Genesis 27 reveals to us God's sovereignty, wisdom, and faithfulness working in the midst or through wisdom and faithfulness, working in the midst or through... I don't even need to preach. (laughs) That was weird. (laughs) Emphasizing my point, I just have it play back. Okay, Uh, let's get back into this sermon. So, in Genesis 27, 
What we see in the midst of every character, I encourage you to, to read through it. We've got three examples we need to get to. Every, every person involved in Genesis 27 is revealing issues, frailties, even sin in the way that they're interacting with each other. And through all of that, God and his sovereignty is accomplishing his purposes. His will is being done in the midst of the frailty and sins of all the people involved and this blessing that Isaac is to give to his son. We're told in our passage this morning, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on his sons, Jacob and Esau. This was in accordance with the custom whereby a father, when he came to the end of his days, would pronounce his fatherly blessing over his children. And it was the firstborn that would be bestowed or given that blessing. That was a, a guarantee of future blessing. Now, with the patriarchs, the blessing was partly prayer and partly prophetic in predictions. They consisted of the promise made in them and nothing else. So what the patriarchs were doing in their blessing was not the norm, but giving to their firstborn exactly what God had instructed them to give. They did not pray for, they did not foretell anything other than what God had promised. And so this blessing was a big deal. It was authoritative application of God's promise to his people and how he would bless them. As this situation unfolds, if you're not familiar, Isaac wants some of his favorite son's food. He's coming to the end of his age, and he sends Esau out to go and hunt and prepare that meal. Well, Jacob and his mother catch wind of this, and Jacob then disguises himself. His mother prepares goats that they went and quickly slaughtered to, to deceive Isaac in receiving the blessing. Right after Isaac had pronounced this major blessing on Jacob, disguised as Esau, the story unfolds, Esau enters into the tent, seemingly right after Isaac blessed Jacob, bringing him that savory meat which he had prepared for his father. And at that moment, Isaac realized the deception which had been played upon him, and we're told in Genesis 27, he trembled exceedingly. Now, we want to ask the question, what do you think caused him to shake? Some would say he was just furious. I don't think that was what was going on. I believe at that moment, he realized that he had been out of step with the divine will of God and that God had providentially intervened to affect his own purpose. And that trembling, that, that trembling exceedingly was him Isaac being just left in awe at the depth of God's sovereign will, sovereign purpose playing out in his very life. I think that's why we can read, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on his sons, Jacob and Esau. In these last moments of Isaac's life, the spirit triumphed over the flesh Instead of bursting out in anger and maybe cursing Jacob for what he had done, Isaac says these words, I have blessed him and he shall be blessed. 
That was the evidence of, of faith overcoming his natural partiality or favoritism. We read that he, he loved Esau the most. And yet in this moment, there was a submission to God's rule and reign over his life. So instead of grumbling and complaining, when his natural affections, fleshly inclinations were crossed by God, he yielded and submitted to the Lord. So in that moment, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on his sons, Jacob and Esau. What a lesson about the sovereignty of God working through sinful human circumstances. Isaac understood that God's will comes first, and there is a, an example of, of bowing down before a sovereign God who is in control of all things. And so God blessed these imperfect people throughout the Old Testament, in, in particular this story, and through them accomplished his will. And so for whatever ups and downs of the life of Isaac, he went out in this last scene basking in the sunlight of walking by faith. Now, as you hear that example, you may sit there and go, man, I'm seeing some holes that I could poke in this. It doesn't seem like he was really that prime example of living by faith. Brothers and sisters, I think that's exactly why he is listed here. And as we dig into what happened in Genesis 27, for some of us, this example of living by faith, wherever you find yourself on the course of your life, may bring that encouragement that you need, that it's not ever too late, that God loves you enough to intervene in your life, to reveal his purpose and will, so that you may, like Isaac, bow the knee to the sovereign and overcome the temptations to be led by what you find to be partial to you, what you long for according to the flesh, putting to death those things and living according to God's will. Jacob. In the case of Jacob, a dying faith overcoming the influence or sway of man. By faith, verse 21 Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, when you read Jacob, there's much more written on Jacob, and his life was filled with faults and failings, as each of our lives are as well. But throughout Jacob's life, what we do see is one who prized his interest in a relationship with God, in the everlasting covenant of God, and clinging like no other to the promises of God. But it was during the closing days of his life that Jacob's faith, according to Hebrews 11, shines most brightly. Now, some of you may be going, there are parts of his life that I I would be drawn to, to use as that example of living by faith, but the Holy Spirit, inspiring this author of Hebrews to write in such a way, this is the example that we're given of living by faith as one dying, uh, coming to the end of his life. So, it was the right of the firstborn to have a double portion. And this is exactly what we find Jacob bestowing upon Joseph's sons. For each of the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, they were allotted a distinct 
tribal part and place of the promised inheritance to Israel. This, by right, belonged to Joseph. So we kind of have to remember a little bit of the story. It belonged to Joseph. This was Rachel's firstborn. But if you remember, Laban, Laban sought to deceive Joseph by substituting Leah, his daughter, instead of Rachel. And so Jacob ended up marrying Leah and Rachel, and the 12 tribes of Israel came from their offspring, from these two women. Joseph was Rachel's firstborn, and now by the providence of God, everything is made right and restored to Jacob. So too, God permitted Reuben, the firstborn of Leah, to sin in such a way that his birthright was taken from him. We get this in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. For Reuben was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. And so the story of God's kind providence unfolds, and the one who was to get that original blessing at the end of Jacob's life, it comes to fruition, and Joseph receives this double portion. And it's the blessing that that Jacob gives to his sons. Now, this episode is found in Genesis 48. It gives us the account of the, the, the leading feature, we're told in Hebrews 11, of, the dying, of, of, of this dying faith of Jacob's when he blesses the sons. So in the story, we see Joseph, the father, bringing his two sons to the old and dying Jacob. Joseph places Manasseh, the elder, to Jacob's right hand, and Ephraim, the younger, to his left. This was so that Manasseh might receive the first and superior blessing. That all makes sense according to the ways in which this was supposed to happen. But if you remember as that story unfolds, as Jacob's going to give the blessing, he switches his hands. And Joseph actually speaks out and says, Father, this is not right, and and attempts to change it back. And Jacob won't let him and gives the blessing upon the younger. And so once again, in God's story of redemption, the younger, by the appointment, appointment of God, receives the superior blessing. The Lord distributes his favor as he pleases. And here, by faith, Jacob submits even to this difficult interference of man. So this is where I was getting at in my my, um, example of one dying in the faith, living by faith. It's what Jacob actually does by not conceding to his son Joseph's request. That is actually living by faith. So to give a little bit of Uh, a background at this point, you look at Joseph. Joseph is the son that Jacob loved most, that was taken from him. He actually thought that Joseph had died, but remember his brothers sold him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, and God, over the course of many, many years, actually takes him to the very top, second in command to Pharaoh. He has all the authority of the land, and he is Jacob's most beloved, 
And this son seeks to change the blessing back. And by faith, Jacob says, no, this is what needs to happen. And he obeys God, not man. And I just think about this for a moment. The son that he, be- that he loved, the son that he made this colorful coat when all the other sons did not receive it, He was saying, this is the one I love, and it's that very son that he received back from the dead, so to speak, that's asking him to do something, and instead of pleasing man, which many of us struggle with, he seeks to honor and obey God. Living by faith is what we see in this example. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff is the other description we're given Uh, for Jacob's faith. And I just want to say how beautiful it is to hear an old saint glorify God for his faithfulness. God is honored when a dying Christian bears testimony unto his faithfulness and having supplied all of his needs. This, This imagery of leaning on the top of his staff For those who have read through the story of Jacob's life, this makes sense. We remember the staff, and Jacob remembers the staff and why he needed to use it. This takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 32. It reminded him of his time at the ford of Jabok, where his hip, if you remember, was put out of socket when he wrestled with God. He had used the staff before in an episode to travel across the land, but because of this issue with his hip, even more so his his need of that staff, even in order to walk, to be reminded of who God is and Jacob's own weaknesses, leaning on top of his staff and worshiping God, what a great visual of a saint of old coming to the end of his life and living by faith. This is what he says in Genesis chapter 48, verses 15 and 16. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all, the li- all my life long to this day, the angel who, who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. A godly man can speak well of God and commend commend his covenant to others. And this this was the case in in Jacob's life. I'm going to have Will actually put up a picture. Hopefully it'll come up and you guys can see this. We are coming up on the year anniversary of Audie Thompson, one of our beloved members, one of our first elders passing away. And as I was reflecting on one who lives by faith even in his dying days, in this picture you'll see one of our deacons, Larry Hammond. And if you had the opportunity to visit Audie in the hospital as he was coming to the end of his life, You'll see in this picture, he was ministering to us. He was rehearsing the goodness of God to those who would come to him, even to the very end. 
going over in his mind the amazing grace of God, the Father, in, in having from the beginning chosen him unto salvation, the Son for having obeyed, suffered, and died in his stead, the Holy Spirit for having sought him out when he was dead in his sins, quickening him into, unto newness of life, shed abroad the love of God in his heart, and put a new song in his mouth. He, Audie, reviewed the faithfulness and goodness of God toward him throughout his pilgrimage. He rested on the promises and viewed the glorious future awaiting him, thereby praising and giving thanks to God Almighty, and it was a witness to all who came in contact with Audie, living by faith until his dying day. Thank you, Will. Lastly, we see the example of Joseph. And in Joseph, we see a rejection of the allure of this world. By faith, verse 22, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, again, just rehearsing what Joseph experienced after all the heartache that his brothers put him through, what he experienced, the, the great honor and wealth in the land of Egypt. He received so much and was at such a high position, but it did not make this servant of God forget the promises of God, nor did it cloud his focus, his aim. What we see is his living by faith having a mind and heart engaged on things that are above, not on the things that are below. When we think about this life and the things of this world perishing, it was by faith that Joseph was able to tap into that reality. In the midst of having much, he was able to see what was of greatest value. Earthly honor and wealth do not in themselves cause us harm. Where there is a gracious heart, they can actually be managed. They can be employed with advantage and used to God's glory, and we even see that in Joseph's life. Material things are God's gifts, and so must be used unto his praise. I, I want to submit to you, we live in the land of much, if you just compare our, our life and what we have compared to other people in different places of this world, there is as much faith in moderating the affections under a full estate as there is in depending upon God for supplies when we have nothing. Both in much or in need, there is a requirement of living by faith to keep the mind and heart stayed upon God and not settling down in the things calls for much exercise spiritually. And therefore, we are exhorted, for example, in Psalm 62, verse 10, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. Be thankful for them and seek to use them unto God's honor. It is such a danger when we lose sight of the giver and are just enthralled with the gifts. By faith, Joseph at the end of his life 
made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is quite insightful. Joseph's mind was engaged with the promises with which God had made to Abraham. And we see this recorded in Genesis 15. The way in which this description of him living by faith at the end of his days points to this reality that he he was rehearsing what he had heard God promised to Abraham. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This shows us that Joseph's faith was anchored in the hope of the sure words of God at the end of a very long and successful career in Egypt. His thoughts were not occupied with what he had gained there and then, but with what God had promised to his people, not the fame and riches, It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. 11 verse 1, that we are seeing really played out in these three examples of living by faith as they come to the end of their life. He gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph's bones were a testimony. He did it to encourage the faith and expectation of his brothers and their descendants concerning the future events that God had promised. Can you imagine 400 years of bondage? The bones were a testimony to those who either found themselves maybe prospering. There had to have been Hebrews, Israelites in the midst of that, who for one reason or another found themselves gaining in Egypt. And those bones were a testimony to those who were gaining, that this is not our home, but God has promised a better land. But probably for most, it was in the form of despair and discouragement where they would look to the bones where maybe they found that the, the slave drivers were increasing their brick, their brick production for that particular day, and they are crying out in pain, hoping that this would end. Joseph's bones were a testimony that one day this will end. And God has promised and he is faithful and he will lead you out of this place. A God-given and a God-sustained faith is not only sufficient to enable the feeblest believer to overcome the enticements of the flesh, the the attractions of the world, and the temptation of Satan, but also to help believers triumph through this passage to death at the ends of our lives when we are tempted and prone to despair maybe in different ways this god-given and god-sustained faith is sufficient now as we bring this to a close i want you to think for a moment about joseph's standing in society all of the honor all of the riches of this world what he experienced does not bring security 
when death knocks at the door. The time will arrive when all of us, everybody, man, woman, will see this same end. And the question is, will it be met for the believer with a confident faith? In order to do this, we must actually prepare. Maybe for some of y'all, this is not even a category in your mind, but, but prepare in such a way for that very hour. There really can be no pretending when, when we come to that, that point in our life. And here are some questions. Are God's promises your daily food right now? Not, okay, I will think about this down the road, but today, are his promises your daily food? Do you actually hold this world with an open hand? Or if you actually assess where you are now, is it closed gripped around the things of this world, your advancement in career, your next house, whatever it is. What is your posture towards God at this point? Here's the reality. Unless the Lord returns first, unless Christ comes again first, death will be the last greatest enemy that we will all contend with. To think a little bit more about this, a Danish theologian and philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, made this profound statement. He said, There comes a midnight when all men must be unmasked. All men wear masks and all try to hide their true identity. For every one of us, in one way or another, life is a masquerade. We seek to hide our faults from others to cover our inadequacies so that they will not be seen. We think that the masks we are wearing hide our real selves from those who would know us. Some men grapple with life more honestly, and a few of, them, of, of their masks come down in this life, but no one has defeated totally the problem of, of, of hypocrisy. However, there is a final midnight when we shall all be unmasked. And that midnight is the time of death when all of man's life will be laid bare before the Almighty. Most men fear death. They do not want to talk about it or think about it. Perhaps you are sitting there right now saying to yourself, I'm not interested in death. Let's talk about life. I want to talk about life with you. But we must first understand this reality of death before life can be sweet. Because true life is found in the one who conquered death and defeated sin. Fear of death is natural because death is man's greatest foe. But as with all other foes, death must be faced by each one of us. And so when we think about death, it is difficult I understand that. Things in this life that are worthwhile are difficult. And it is good for us to think about death, our death, what happens after death. Why is there death? According to Romans chapter 5, we get the answer. Why is there death? Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, our federal head, and, through, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. 
Okay, there's a reason why death entered into this reality. Because of sin. We all experience that because we are all sinners. If you keep reading in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, here's the good news, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. There's a reason why we all experience death. There is a hope for those in Christ to actually approach death in such a way that you are not overwhelmed or defeated by the reality of what's to come. You are not sitting here left uncertain. Those in Christ, we are told from his word, who experience death, oh, that is just the doorway into real, actual, eternal life for the for, forever and ever. That, that doorway, as D.L. Moody says, brothers and sisters, do not be sad for me. I'm actually experiencing life like I've never experienced before. I am face to face with my Savior. Those outside of Christ, I pray that these three examples of men coming to the end of their days would land heavy on us because all of us will experience that according to God's sovereign will at some point. It is good for us to think about our standing before a holy God. What is it that gets us so upset or afraid? And then truly, in that time of of analyzing and assessing, turn to his word. Turn to the truth. And let that shape and mold where our hope is, what realities lie ahead for those in Christ. And in doing that, that helpful exercise, it actually helps prepare us to face death, to, to be found like these examples, living by faith in our dying hours. I want to end with this quote from A.W. Pink. The Holy Spirit has given us given us of the, uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit has given us in these three, three examples in Hebrews 11, he has furnished us with no less than these examples of an acting of faith in the final crisis and conflict. We believe that, among other reasons, God would hereby assure his trembling and doubting children that he who began a good work in them will most certainly sustain and complete the same. That he who has in his sovereignty committed this precious grace to their hearts will not suffer, will not suffer it to languish with its support in most when it is most sorely needed. That he who has enabled his people to exercise faith during the vigor of life will not withdraw his quickening power during the weakness of death. God is the one who sustains. God is the one who provides. God is the one who upholds his people even to our last breath. Let us pray. Father, we are so very thankful for these examples. To be able to spend time digging into each one of them, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, 
Father, for many of us, it is good to be able to relate to the, the reality of sinners saved by grace who have many highs and many lows, who at some, t- at some points are, are expressing faith and obedience and at others disobedience and being unfaithful. Throughout that landscape of these three men, we see your sovereign will, your care shining through, your purposes unfolding, your sustaining power that enabled each of these men at the end of their days to live by faith. Father, may we in Christ be encouraged this day with these examples. May those outside of Christ by the power of the Spirit working in the proclamation of your word, see their great need of the one who has overcome death, defeated it, conquered it. Where there was once a sting in Christ, there is no longer the sting of death. May that reality fall hard in this room. May we cling to Christ, our hope and our anchor. And it's in his name we pray, amen.